Uh, tonight we're going to continue in our evening series, uh, listening to God's words to his people through the prophet Obadiah. So let me invite you to have that open as we look at it together. Uh, but before we do that, let's pray for the Lord to be at work among us now. So join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray for the grace to receive your word, however challenging it might be. May it comfort us in the tribulations and trials of this life. May it give us a correct perspective of your glorious love and faithfulness. And may it establish and amplify the existence of hope within us, strengthening our faith and leading us to respond in wholehearted devotion and commitment to you and your ways. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, last week we began our series by looking at a, a bird's eye view, an overview of the whole prophecy of Obadiah. And tonight we're going to narrow our focus down to verses 1 to 14, although we might pinch a little bit from verse 15 as well. And these verses, they unpack and apply the vengeful justice as well as the faithfulness of the Lord. For one thing you cannot escape in the book of Obadiah is the doctrine of God's vengeful justice. It runs right through this prophecy like the letters in a stick of Blackpool Rock. It can be tempting and in many ways just more convenient to shy away from or to water down the reality of God's vengeance. However, that would be wrong. Ultimately, it is an immature faith which sees no place for God's justice. True Christian maturity learns not only to embrace, but even to desire and to delight in God's vengeful justice. Because our supreme concern is for God's honor and glory. And because we begin to see how it reflects his love and faithfulness towards his people and secures his ultimate purposes and plans for the world. A film example came to mind when I was thinking about how vengeance and exercising justice can reflect love and faithfulness. Um, this isn't an endorsement of the film, by the way, just, you know, heads up. Um, the movie is called Taken. I don't know if you've seen the movie Taken. Um, Liam Neeson, he plays a character who, as an ex-CIA uh, officer, he has a very particular set of skills uh, which he uses to great effect to track down his uh, teenage daughter after she's kidnapped by human traffickers on vacation. And along the way, Liam Neeson's character must go to the most extreme lengths to recover his daughter. He kills many people. He executes 
vengeful justice upon the bad guys who have hurt her. And whether it's the movie Taken or the other hundreds of films and stories that play off this dynamic, we do have some reference for how vengeance and love can relate together. In fact, the greater the love, the more you would expect justice to be executed, the, the, the more extreme the lengths someone would go. And we even find ourselves in these movies rooting for justice, don't we? We watch along and we cheer and, and we will for the good guys to triumph over the bad guys. And if we can understand this interplay between human relationships, why should we expect anything less when wicked nations and individuals are hostile to God and his people? Yes, God's vengeance, his justice, will be enacted with perfect appropriateness, unlike our own motives and actions. But I'm not sure we should actually expect anything less and so Obadiah, in these verses, he's going to teach us about the particular wickedness of those who oppose and afflict God's chosen people. And he's going to reveal to us the Lord who is outraged by their mistreatment and will act in vengeance, execute justice, break evil, and resolve everything putting right every wrong committed against them. And so this evening, we're going to look at verses 1 to 14. And we're going to, and we're going to see how the Lord, through Obadiah's prophecy, establishes and amplifies the existence of hope as he unpacks and applies the doctrine of God's vengeful justice. And we'll see that this passage, it breaks up roughly into three sections. So firstly, there is the announcement of God's vengeful justice. Secondly, the amplification of God's vengeful justice. And thirdly, the argument for God's vengeful justice. Three sections, three headings. The announcement of, the amplification of, and the argument for God's vengeful justice. So point one, the announcement of God's vengeful justice, verses 1 to 4. And last week I mentioned that Obadiah is most likely written in the pre-exilic period, and it should be dated during the reign of a man named Jehoram, King Jehoram. And it would have been just after the Edomite revolt, which you can read about in 2 Chronicles chapter 21 and 2 Kings chapter 8, and to which Obadiah refers here in verses 1 to 14. And what you need to know about that time is, it was a chaotic time for God's people. At this time, the Edomites appeared as Israel's national enemy for the first time since they'd settled in the Promised Land. And Edom, who had once been subdued under the reigns of King David and Solomon, broke free from Israelite rule and revolted against them. And Obadiah's prophecy is... Um, God's response to this situation and the questions and concerns that arise from it. And God begins in these verses by giving a graphic description of Edom's demise. 
but he does so to assure his people that there will be retribution. So look with me at verses 1 to 4 as we read God's announcement of vengeful justice. Verses 1 to 4, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Well, in that first sentence, the first sentence of verse 1, we have a general title for the whole book, the vision of Obadiah. And the word vision here, it refers to um, supernatural perception and divine revelation given by God. And through this vision, through this prophetic vision, the Lord reveals the truth behind his actions in history and the lives of his people to advance his plans. This is the revelation of God's agenda given through Obadiah. And in the rest of verse 1, we read that the Lord has raised up and sent out an envoy, a political diplomat among the nations. And this is the message. Arise. Let us arise against her for battle. The Lord has sent a messenger to stir up the nations to go against the nation of Edom. In battle. And in verses 2 to 4, we read more generally of the Lord's announcement of his vengeful justice, of his settled resolve and unstoppable intent to bring Edom down in judgment. God is determined to show his glory by making them small and despised. Small economically and geographically, as he hands them over to destruction, and despised in their prestige and their status among the nations. God will make Edom a laughingstock on the global scale. The Lord will utterly humiliate them. In their seemingly impregnable fortresses, they deluded themselves into thinking they were unreachable, untouchable. The image of verse 4, however, is that it doesn't matter if they live in tall towers. It doesn't matter if they could grow wings and soar with the eagles. It doesn't matter if they flew so high that they built their nests among the stars. The Lord will bring them down. And I think the irony is, 
that the higher they ascend and the safer they feel, in fact, the further they have to fall. The Lord will bring them down. This is the announcement of God's vengeful judgment. But he doesn't stop there. Things begin to to heat up, to ramp up and intensify with the amplification of God's vengeful justice, which brings us to our second point, verses 5 to 9, the amplification of God's vengeful justice. Because in verses 1 to 4, we've just seen there is nowhere to hide out of reach of God's justice. And now in these verses, we will see that there is no escaping his judgment. It's as if um, the ammunition has run out, the escape routes are closed, and the defenses have just been breached. Nothing can help the Edomites now. And in verses 5 to 6, God shows the totality and the thoroughness and the comprehensive nature of his judgment. Look with me in these verses, verses 5 to 6. God says, If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. I think the metaphors illustrate the point well. Uh, thieves came to your house. They might rob you. They might take a lot from you. They might take what's most precious to you. But they can't. They won't take everything. They'll inevitably leave some stuff behind. So they might take your iPad or your jewelry or your loose cash. But they'll most likely leave behind your dirty washing. And the same with grape gatherers, whether through laziness or mistake, they'll inevitably leave some grapes behind. Well, not so when it comes to God's judgment against Edom. His judgment will be total, it will be thorough, it will be comprehensive. Oh, what a disaster awaits them. As God supernaturally empowers the nations to execute his judgment against them. And if these verses show the comprehensive nature of God's justice, then verses 7 to 9 show the inescapable nature of his justice. Look with me at what God says in these verses, verses 7 to 9. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you. But you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified. And everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Edom are going to look to their allies to save them. 
Refugees will run to neighboring nations, but they'll be turned back at the border. Those that they would have called friends, that they would have eaten bread with, will betray them. Allies will refuse to defend them. Eden will not escape through cleverly devised plans or alliances. Their prestige and their status on the global scale, it means nothing. God's vengeful judgment against Edom will be comprehensive. It will be inescapable. The mountain will not hide them, but it will be brought low. Their strong and their wise men will not save them, but will be cut down. Their allies will not defend them, but will betray them. Their treasures will not help them, but will be plundered and pillaged. These verses, verses 1 to 9, they cut right through the false security and the self-deluded presumption of the enemies of God. These words, they should humble anyone, any of us here, who through the arrogance of our own hearts have deceived ourselves into thinking we are beyond the justice of God. When God judges the earth, it does not matter about your wealth, your status, your prestige, your strength, your intelligence, or any cleverly devised plans you might think of making. The only thing that will matter on that day is if you have turned to God for forgiveness through trusting in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Nowhere else will provide refuge. Nothing else, no one else, will save you. However, though the primary subject of these words are the enemies of God, are Eden... The primary audience is God's people. And so Obadiah here, he's actually not trying to convict you or to condemn you if you are right with God. No, Obadiah here, he is seeking to establish and amplify the existence of hope. By reminding God's people about his love and his faithfulness and his care towards them, reflected in his vengeance for them. You see, sometimes we can wonder, does God really care about us? Does he really care about the church? Is he really concerned about the injustice and the violence that is exercised against his people around the world? Does it it matter to him? Does he care? Does he have compassion for us in our afflictions? Will he do something about it? Well, verses 1 to 9 teaches God's people that the Lord will go to extreme lengths to execute justice and to have vengeance for you 
Because he loves us that much. God has purposes in allowing the church to go through trials and tribulations. He uses them to refine us. But it's also true that God has a plan to right every wrong committed against his people. He will have vengeance in every place his people have been afflicted. His justice will be executed comprehensively against every wicked nation, every unjust regime, every cruel dictator, every immoral institution, every corrupt government, every blasphemous culture, every slanderous tyrant, every oppressive society, every godless evildoer, every scoffing bully, everyone who antagonizes and afflicts his people. They will not get away with it. In the face of tribulation and trouble, there is hope for God's hurting people, battered and bruised by the enemies of God. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. The Lord cares. And one day he will make us safe forever. And I'm aware that this might feel and it might seem so far away from our experiences. And we face very little persecution for our faith in this country. But even still, for many of our brothers and sisters, this is their experience. You know, the Bible isn't about us, right? Sometimes we can come to the Bible and we can be just selfish readers. It's all about me. And if it doesn't immediately apply to my life and my situation, well, then I can just ignore it. You might be tempted to think, I can just ignore these verses here in this obscure book of Obadiah. But you can't, you shouldn't, you mustn't. Because for many of our brothers and sisters around the globe, they need our support and they need our prayers. And yes, we should pray for them for strength to endure. And yes, we should pray for their enemies to repent and receive the gospel. The Lord Jesus tells us we should pray for our enemies. But if they won't turn to Christ, if they won't believe the gospel... It is also good and right and true for us to pray for Jesus to come in judgment and to break evil and to avenge his people and to resolve everything as he has promised he will one day do. And you know, we should, we must pray as an act of solidarity with those who are suffering, even if we ourselves aren't suffering for we are one with them as the body of Christ the church we are we are united we are family your brothers and your sisters around the globe are being persecuted some even killed for their faith and we should pray yes for strength to endure but also for Jesus to come in justice to rescue them to save them to break evil to resolve everything. 
And so Obadiah begins in point one with the announcement of God's vengeful justice. And this develops and it intensifies in point two with the amplification of God's vengeful justice. And then it leads to point three, the argument for God's vengeful justice. Verses 10 to 14, the argument for God's vengeful justice. You see, in verses 10 to 14, we are given Edom's catalogue of wrongdoing, which has invited God's judgment upon them. And this list, it shows us that God's judgment, it's not actually harsh. Because you might be tempted to think that, well, this seems a bit harsh. Verses 1 to 9, it's a bit intense. No, it's not harsh. It's proportionate. It's not excessive or extreme. It's exact. God's justice executed will never exceed what is deserved. As verse 15 says, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. This is justice, not harsh. And the word because at the beginning of verse 10, it helps us to see the connection between verses 10 to 14 and verses 1 to 9. So that, um, so that we see that in these verses, verses 10 to 14, we are given the reason, the logic, the argument for God's vengeful justice. And it begins, verses 10 to 11, by giving us a summary heading of Edom's guilt. So look with me at verses 10 and 11. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. Now the ultimate reason God will judge Edom is because of the violence done against God's people. They covered God's people with shame and humiliation. They cut them off. And therefore, God will cover Edom with shame. And God will cut them off from his blessing forever. They will be under the curse of God's judgment forever. And the violence, uh, the, the violence that is described, it is unpacked in the rest of these verses, in verses 12 to 14. And in these verses, we see this kind of general progression of involvement um, from Edom. So, so verse 12, as other nations rebel and revolt against God's people, Edom, they kind of stand aloof and they, and they gloat over their brother's Demise. They, they rejoice over their misfortune and their ruin. And then verse 13, their boasting and their gloating, it, it turns to action. They enter the gates, they loot their wealth. You can imagine it, can't you, perhaps, in, in, in the heat of battle. Israel look up and they see their brother nation coming and they think, Hallelujah, we're saved! They would have assumed that they were coming to their aid. And instead, they exploited Israel's weaknesses and they pillaged what was left of their wealth. And it gets worse because finally in verse 14, their action actually turns to initiative. As survivors, 
most likely women and children, fled the battle looking for refuge, Edom stood at the crossroads ready to cut them off. They were handing the survivors over to the nations to become slaves or cutting them down where they stood. From gloating to action to taking the initiative, Edom is guilty of afflicting God's people. And so the Lord will execute justice against them. And it will be proportionate and it will be exact. Just as they cut down God's people, so the Lord will cut them down. But it's not only them. It's not only them that God's vengeance will extend to. No, God's vengeance, it will extend against every injustice and every evil done against his chosen people. Obadiah teaches us that himself by linking verses 1 to 14 and the judgment on Edom with verses 15 and the end of the world judgment on all nations in the day of the Lord. You see, the judgment on Edom is actually only a part of this future final judgment. And it will ultimately happen as and when God steps in to judge all nations. In this way, the fate of Edom then is representative of the judgment that awaits all who reject God and oppose his people. Obadiah teaches us that history is moving in a certain direction. It is heading for the day of the Lord. God's judgment on all nations. And this announcement of justice on Edom is like a trailer. It's like a preview that anticipates the final destination, revealing what, will, what it will be like. On that day, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and he will execute vengeful justice on all nations. It will be inescapable, it will be comprehensive, and it will also be proportionate. He will break every evil and injustice and he'll bring it to light and he will bring it to judgment. He will avenge his people, putting right every wrong committed against them. He will resolve everything. Because that is how much God loves and cares for his people. And in this way, the promise of vengeful justice, it actually would have been a comfort for any Israelite who was listening to Obadiah preach. After going through so much pain, and enduring such violence from the enemies of God, it would actually have strengthened them to keep going and to keep trusting God. You see, they would have known now that God had a purpose in allowing the suffering, but he would also make things right. And they knew that his vengeance had actually communicated his love and his faithfulness towards them. It communicates the extreme lengths the Lord will go to protect them and make them safe and secure forever in his eternal kingdom. And in the same way, we should take comfort in the knowledge of God's vengeful justice. That judgment is actually part of the Father's love through the Son for his people. And one day, on the future yet imminent day of the Lord... God, 
through the Lord Jesus Christ, will execute final justice over all the earth. He will take the ends of the earth as his possession. He will triumph over every evil and establish his sovereign rule and eternal kingdom. And he will make us, his people, safe and secure forever. And what a comfort this can be to us and to our brothers and sisters in Christ worldwide. To know that on the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, vengeful justice will be the Lord's. And what confidence it should give us. And we need comfort and confidence, don't we? And we need to know God's glorious love and faithfulness for us and the the extreme lengths he will go to make us safe and secure forever. The first hearers of this prophecy, they needed this comfort. They, They lived in a world dominated by nations who had no concern for God and his ways. Their nation, it was in chaos. Their faith would be shaken and hopes dashed by the thought that God had just abandoned them as Edom besieged their cities. And we too, we need comfort and confidence. As we live in a world of war and great injustice, we need to know that God is going to make all things right in the end. But even more than that, we need it in a world where the church is battered and bruised and cursed and killed for their faith in God. When we feel isolated and marginalized, when we're harassed and hated, when we're pressured and persecuted, when we have to endure trials and troubles and tribulations of various kinds, we need to know that God will not let the gates of hell prevail over his church. That the scoffers will not triumph. That wicked individuals and governments and nations who afflict God's people, they won't get away with it. Now, we need to know that our God reigns, that he grieves over the violence done to his people, that he will avenge us, and that the kingdom is coming. And we will receive a rich welcome into that eternal kingdom when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Yes, the world may look like chaos. Nations may rage. God's promises may feel far off. But be confident. Be reassured that in that future but imminent day of the Lord, final justice and vengeance and faithfulness will belong to the Lord, executed by our victorious and conquering King, Jesus the Messiah. And on that day, when God judges the world, what will truly matter for every man, woman and child is whether they have come to know our Lord Jesus Christ and found refuge in him. And until that day, we should be people who persevere in faithfulness to Jesus, pressing on under the pressure we might face, assured of the triumph of God. And we should prayerfully wait, leaving vengeance to the Lord, entrusting our lives to him, and crying to God for his kingdom to come. Yes, come Lord Jesus, come. We long to see your glory. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your glorious love and faithfulness to your people. 
Help us to consciously recall the truth that vengeance will be the Lord's. That we might be comforted and may confidently entrust our lives to you. Whatever we may face. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.